This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. As always, I'm Tom Z. He is Krejus McBasketball, a.k.a. Tim. And today we are going to be answering some uh, mailbag questions from y'all, trying to still get our head around this new Lakers roster. There's a lot happening really quickly, obviously. So, you know, we gave our first impressions last time. Uh, and we just wanted to take some questions with you guys and kind of talk through it all, you know, just kind of figure out where we're at a couple of days later. So, Tim, how are you doing? We'll jump in real quick. But what's up? How are you, man? Uh, hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving week. Yeah, it's gone well. It's on a bit of traveling. Um, I don't think I've been home in like a month. Been seeing different family members getting tested constantly, trying to stay safe. Uh, but going well, trying to fit in as much film as I can in between things. You know, with the with the data, it's easy to just pull stuff up and immediately find what it says. But going through the film on what like four, five, six, seven different new players uh, takes a little bit of time. Um, it's definitely helped that we've had these conversations. I feel like our last pod was more stream of con- consciousness, a little bit less organized than you know I like to be. I'm very, very structured and like, all right, we're going to talk about this guy in these ways. I have this data. And as a data person, you have to be prepared like that. I, I don't just have all this stuff in my head. But uh, we we certainly got to talk about a lot. There was a lot that we didn't really get to touch on with those new players. And so we're doing a mailbag episode today. We solicited questions from Twitter. We solicited questions from Reddit. And we solicited questions from the Discord, that Discord group. That has been another really fun part about the past week or two is the great conversation we've had in there. Again, without like other fan bases lurking over your shoulder where you can like just talk honestly about like, all right, I like this guy. I don't like this guy. There's no posturing of like, oh, no, I'm a I'm a Laker fan. I have to support this player or something like that, which you know we know I don't really engage in as much, but but others may do a little bit. So, uh, yeah, go join the Discord. DM me a five-star review of the podcast. We'll get you in there. We've been talking draft. We've been talking free agency, uh, all that stuff. So we've been soliciting questions from those three groups. We have, I don't know, a dozen or so that we'll try to touch on today. Pretty much hitting everything that I wanted to talk about on this pod anyway. I think you guys did a good job of at least having the right questions in your mind. And, and thankfully, we're, we were able to answer some of them, but there's still a lot left. So where would you like to start, Tom? 
So yeah, let's start with those, uh, those close discord peeps. Um, let's go into a question of how you, how would you deploy Trez schematically in the regular season on defense? How can we get him to a net neutral in the regular season and the playoffs? And I think that kind of ties into what we were talking about last time a little bit in the sense of on defense, you probably want to play him as a four, right? And, uh, and have AD kind of play the five. So, I, I mean, that's where I would start with that. But other than that, Tim, maybe I'm thinking drop coverage often with Trez. What, what are you thinking with that? Yeah, I we we touched on it. We alluded to it. The big takeaway I took away from just in his data, it's really obvious. And then looking at the film, it it added more color to the picture that was already there that Trez is a four defensively, or he at least should be used as a four. And when he was signed and as we saw Gasol get signed and Markeith get signed, my initial thinking was, okay, the Lakers are probably going to use him as a five in the regular season. They'll live with a poor defensive impact, which has been about a minus one defensive PIPM over the past, uh, over the, the seasons he's been a center. And then in the playoffs, they'll move AD to the five and they'll let Harrell play more power forward, which, which fits him a little bit better. Now, Recently, we heard some of the news that the Lakers were looking to add another center, which is just glaring signals to me that they see what we're seeing. So I think that's good news. I think I would use him as a four if possible. Drop coverage is how I'd want to use him from a role standpoint. I think as a perimeter big makes more sense. Uh, you don't want him as your anchor big quite as much. That would mean he's probably more a center. Um, I wouldn't want him as a mobile big as much. That means he's more involved in ball screens. A perimeter big is the guy that's usually defending fours and some fives, some threes. That is just kind of away from the play and more in a rotating kind of position. And that's something where with Harrell's quickness, he's really, he's able to cover a good bit of ground, uh, pretty well. And if Vogel can tap into some of the IQ he has and get him locked into a position where he can go help if somebody does get beat and then go block a shot at the rim, because he has that capability, I think that would be of value. And then we have the players behind him to be able to, you know, rotate over to his man that he's leaving. Um, keep him away from ball screens. Keep him away from the post. Those are the two big, uh, I think really the post is the weakest area. Um, ball screens, I think there's potential to use him as a drop big. I think positionally his technique can be a little bit better, but that's certainly coachable. I see with the quickness he has some potential for him to be used in more aggressive screen coverages, which in the playoffs is good. In the regular season, we probably won't see as much of. But I honestly, I see more defensive potential with him as long as you keep him away from his really weak areas and you try not to switch with him because he's still not good defending in space. But within the context of a ball screen, there's a little bit of a crutch for him there. It's more of a structured situation and he has more of a clear responsibility. I think he can he can do well in those. So I have more confidence in him now than I did a week ago. I think play him at the four. I'm glad we've been out in front on that pretty much from the start. And uh, you can probably get him to close to a neutral defender in the regular season. In the playoffs, it gets trickier. Teams will be more pointed in targeting his weaknesses. You still want to use him as a four. But if it gets to the point where he's clearly negatively impacting you and, and, it, and it, you determine it's not worth it on offense, it may be worth it. But if it's not worth it on offense, you pull him and you've got the guys to, to come in with the rest of the, the rotation that the Lakers have, the rest of the roster the Lakers have. So we have protection if we need to pull him out of a game or a series. But ideally, you just try to optimize him 
if he's using ball screens, run that drop coverage, or in the playoffs, you can try to have him be more aggressive, either blitz or run one of those catch hedges or show him recover, get the ball out of that ball handler's hand so they can't ISO against him. You don't want to be switching with him, but I, I think that's basically the book on how you want to be using uh, Montrez Harrell defensively. I think he fits pretty well in, at least with what he does well as far as the Lakers scheme, because the Lakers didn't switch a ton last year. They uh, primarily, you know, did those catch hedges, drop coverage. They did a lot of things to avoid uh, switching because of guys like Danny Green and even LeBron. You know, you don't want LeBron on a point guard um, getting fouls and, and getting blown by. It's just not a position of strength there. The thing that slightly concerns me about Harrell on defense at the four is, more and more shooting at that position throughout the league is going to draw him further away from the basket to where he can get rebounds and provide good help defense. So there's a slight concern there of just him, you know, if he is a four on defense, which I think in our scheme he will be, you know, if he is putting ball screens, it worries you a little. But in the perfect world, too, if that's AD instead, you're probably good there, but it maybe takes a little bit away of what Montrez brings to the table as far as rebounding, help defense, using that athleticism on the defensive end as well. So I don't know. What do you think about him kind of being stuck on the perimeter on more of those guys? I don't mind it because I'd prefer he's coming from the perimeter as a drive is happening and, and maybe he gets there. Maybe he's too far away to get there. I'd rather that than him already be needing to defend the rim in space or defending the rim on ball. I think you made great points. It will be taking him away from those positions. He, we we talked about it last time, his defensive rebounding has been really poor. Just from a performance standpoint, has not been good in a large part because he's undersized. So playing that power forward, defending shooters, I think he'll perform a lot better. He's someone that he's built good habits because he's undersized. He has to box out if he wants a chance. So every single play, he's either, he's putting a body on someone and he doesn't just get in the way. You, you see guys that, and, and the folks can't see this right now, but like I'm doing stuff with my hands. You, you can't just like put your arms out. That's not boxing out. You have to turn your head, find somebody, get a body on them. You want to hit them impact them and then go get the ball. Um, You don't just want to kind of stand in between them and the ball because they can go around you. They can go through you. They can go over you. He does a good job of with his strength, making forcible contact in a legal way, holding them back and then going and chasing the ball. I think that's, that's what we'll see more of, but just in more advantageous situations for him. So I'm okay with that. I can understand how it, can be a little bit concerning that he'll have less of an opportunity to have as much of an impact defending shots at the rim as he did this past season. But I'm okay with that because we have fives that can defend the rim. Um, if we were pairing him with a stretch five that wasn't a good rim protector, then you start to get in a more tricky situation. So I think within our scheme, he can do what he does well, and we're at least protecting him from the weakest areas of his game. Yeah, so just kind of put a bow on that question and kind of finish too with how can we get him to a net neutral in the regular season and the playoffs? I think those answers are slightly different. I think what we kind of laid out mostly there was regular season, but to your point, you know, it's going to be a question. It's, we can have ideas about the playoffs, but he might really get, you know, played off if you're going to be facing a Jokic or a, a bigger team that can really punish that, um, his, his, lack of size. So I, I don't know about rate playoffs yet, Tim. Uh, anything you else comes to mind for you in that regard? You're somewhat limited in terms of what you can do 
his weaknesses are weaknesses in the regular season, you take advantage of the fact that teams are less opponent specific with their game plans and you'll be able to kind of squeak by without that mattering as much. But yeah, in the regular, in the, in the postseason, postseason, um, I'm, I'm like combining words right now. He's going to get targeted. For me, if he's your third or fourth best scorer on the offensive end, I don't know if it'll be worth it to have him on the court at all. Maybe you reserve him until, like, you use him kind of like the Lakers used with Dwight matching Jokic's minutes, but, like, the opposite of that. Um, I, I think you can find spots to play him where he's less vulnerable based on who the opposing team has out there. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it might come down to, unless he improves, which at his age is unlikely, I think it's more dressing up what he already is within the, the context of our scheme. He's probably going to play a bit less, just by nature of, of who you face in the playoffs, unless we're facing a team that doesn't have dynamic scoring guards, isn't like going to ISO against you, and also doesn't have a strong post player. And some of those teams exist, but most of them have one of those options. So I, I think just understand what's realistic for his improvement, where we might see improvement, how in the regular season – if if you just see one random tweet of mine where I think he's going to be a poor defender and then he doesn't look like a poor defender, I understand why those people are going to go after me. But it's the playoffs we're talking about where the real concern lies. So finding answers before you need the answers and seeing how LA experiments with his role defensively will be something I'll keep an eye on. And we'll probably want to give some updates on as we go throughout the regular season. Tim's always got to keep an uh, eye out for the uh, pitchforks of eye test Twitter. So, you know, mm-hmm. good luck to you there. Uh, all right. So moving on to the next question, uh, we got, what is the best role slash usage for LeBron in the regular season? So he averaged 34.6 minutes per game last season in the regular season. Uh, and he averages 38 minutes per game in his career. I, I would expect that you'd probably see this like sliding scale of, December, uh, January is 30, you know, 31 minutes and then February is 32. And I can see a small ramp up, but my guess would be low thirties to start the season. Yeah. I would guess 30 to 32 by the end of the season. I bet that looks more like 34, 35, but just like you said, I think a, a ramp up, maybe the average overall is like 32, 31, um, makes sense just in terms of the, the volume of usage for him for his role. I don't think like you really change LeBron James's game all that much. I think what we might see is LA emphasize specific strengths of his more with maybe, all right, you're going to be more of a passer because we have extra scores around you more than needing him to be a primary ball handler in the regular season as much. Cause that can take a, a little bit of uh, wear and tear in your body defensively. I see LA trying to find the right roles to conserve him. I don't think we're going to see him playing like small ball five or anything like that. Uh, I think there is a point at some point in LeBron's future where as he gets less mobile, you say, okay, you're an elite like elbow and low post ISO guy, mid post ISO guy, and you're a great passer. We're going to start using you like the, the old man LeBron James role is more get him the ball posting up at the elbow or the mid post and then let him go to work with screening and cutting around him. I don't think we're there yet. He still has plenty left in the tank. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of that. Uh, but overall, I, I don't think his role will necessarily change as much. I, we're probably more likely to just see him disengaged and, and just kind of spacing the floor more so than changing the nature of his usage, just from from what Frank Vogel has done in the past. 
I think the first sign at LeBron's role uh, being the same or changing slightly from last year will be um, whether or not Schroeder starts. And I, I don't really expect him to, but, you know, you could make an argument that he can and should start. So if Schroeder does start, I would expect LeBron to you know, have the ball in his hands less. Maybe they're trying to bring Caruso into a uh, more of a playmaking role. And, you know, maybe you get LeBron out of the game early in the first so that you can have Schroeder and AD minutes uh, and then bring LeBron in with, I don't know, with uh, with Caruso and and other guys off the bench. So I think that, you know, who starts uh, at the guards position? And then with LeBron, this is someone who – all the reports says take great care of his body, right? But this is an offseason unlike anything else. He just put the gas all the way down on the pedal, you know, in the bubble. They won a championship. And less than, you know, two months later, they have to to come back and do it all over again. And he's just never had that time to – this is unprecedented. So I just want to put that out there that this is going to be very uh, play it by ear and touch and go, I feel like, at least with the minutes, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I what we see in the regular season isn't going to concern me all that much. I think once it comes to the playoffs, he's going to be what he was this past season, and they're going to find a way to make the other pieces fit around that. I I don't have a ton of we'll we'll monitor this, we'll update this over time. If if LA goes a different direction than when we're expecting and starts using him in a different way, we'll certainly cover it and analyze it, but. It's not the highest of priorities for me. I think what's important is that they recognize that they'll need to conserve him and he recognizes how important a game week two in the season is compared to the playoffs. So I just have confidence that they'll handle it the right way. And the logistics of that may differ. There may be a couple different scenarios, but I, I feel pretty good at that. They'll, they'll at least go about this the right, the right way. And yet the other factor is that we, we obviously haven't seen uh, what the schedule is going to look like. And I, I expect it to look mm-hmm. somewhat like last year, but, uh, you know, they might be doing more three games and four nights stuff. You, you don't know. You know, they're just going to release the first half of the schedule first. So we're still waiting on that to get more. Uh, kind of uh, along the same lines, though, if the, if the Lakers' plans is to limit LeBron's minutes in the regular season, what are some good lineups that can create offense? Uh, and is Schroeder our only good offensive creator outside? of LeBron. Well, I mean, I think AD could be a creator, obviously for himself at least, so that's definitely one. Um, I, I don't think the team really has too many creators, just like last season, and I think the, most of the ball is going to be in Schroeder and LeBron with AD's hands for most of the game, mm-hmm. so, you know. Yeah. But we've added more. I'd say that taking... So, Wesley Matthews is a guy that you can run set plays for as a shooter. KCP is a guy you can run set plays for as a shooter. Marcus Saul is a guy that you can just give him the ball at the low post, the mid post, the high post, and just run some screening action with like KCP and Caruso or Matthews or a- any combo of those players. And he'll be able to like, he's not like a cr- self creation sort of ball handler, but he's going to get a guy the ball if they become open on one of those actions. We have shooter. I think. As an ISO guy, he's fine once he gets a mismatch, especially against centers. He does really, really well. Uh, and his, his data reflects that in the, in pick and rolls. When you switch onto him, overall, his actually, defenses have actually done a pretty good job of holding him down, but that's when he's switching with other guards or wings. 
when he once he gets a big on him, he's able to abuse that matchup. The same way that Harrell, if you switch onto him with a guard, like he's an okay post player, but if he has a mismatch, he's a really good post player. Um, so those as options, depending on if the defense is switching on any given day, are are good offense. Harrell is someone who, and I don't know if this is your optimal playoff offense, but he is a post player. He attacks from the post. If he's got a little guy on him, he's good. If he has a slower footed big on him, he uses his quickness. There are some matchups that don't work nearly as well for him uh, in the post, but that is another vehicle to to get offense from him. And there's a reason he scores as much as he does. Like roll and cut bigs don't put up the points he does unless they're just getting crazy volume. The reason he's able to get the points per game that he has in the past is because his top form of scoring is the post. So expect that to not go away, especially in the regular season. I think in the playoffs, you 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 try, probably try to phase out that aspect of his game if it isn't efficient, if it's not working the way you'd want it to, especially because he's not a quite a playmaker from there for others. But that is a form of offense. AD in the post is a form of offense. AD isolating isn't quite like an offensive engine per se because it doesn't get others involved nearly as much. Um, but I think it's correct to say that Shooter's probably the only like pick and roll guard outside of LeBron that we'd feel a bunch of confidence in. Um, but yeah, there are other different ways and it's tricky because it's like two guys do this. One guy does that. Two guys do this. Um, figuring out what those standard attacks are going to look like and what the pecking order will be of, okay, if these five guys are on the court, it's like in 2k, what, what is, what is his number one form of offense? Okay. Pick and roll ball handler or three point shooter or attack off of handoffs. What does that look like for each player? And then depending on the combos of players who gets the first dibs at they're going to attack. Is it going to be a pick and roll? Is it going to be Harold go post up? Probably not as the first option. Um, so that'll be something the Lakers need to figure out. I think it's a good problem to have because they have a lot more options than you might otherwise think from afar. But I feel pretty confident that they'll be able to generate offense with, with the pieces that they're adding and pretty much everybody they've added adds something. It's not like Danny Green where he is just, he's going to finish possessions. He's not going to create really for himself or others. We we did a good job of adding versatile pieces that can be that finisher. Harrell can finish lobs. Shooter can spot up. Um, Wesley Matthews can be a, a corner three knockdown shooter. But we also have guys that they have their own forms of offense. And I think figuring out how Kyle Kuzma fits into that as well will be another tricky question where I can see a scenario where he gets faced out. I can see a scenario where he's trying to do too much for himself and it's not working. I can see a scenario where he fits and he's slotted into a much more of an off-ball role and it works really well for him. So he'll be another guy to track because he's important to the team and because he is really the, that one asset that I can see the Lakers trading in season. Um, so we'll want to see how they approach raising his value potentially or just getting the most out of him because you always want to do that. So I think the question is is not to dodge it, but it's kind of dependent on who are you playing, right? Like um, we were talking about last time, this team is so versatile in the different lineups that they can throw out here. But let me throw one out there, Tim, that I want to see what you think of. You got – um, and this is a lineup without AD or LeBron, right? I'm guessing AD, even though he's young, um, he's still going to get some rest this season as well. So mm-hmm. just let's just take both of them out of the equation for argument's sake. Uh, what about a Schroeder, Matthews, Kuzma, Markeith, Gasol lineup? Okay. I, I can, I'm like seeing, uh, like just, you know, X's and O's flying around in my head. Uh-huh. I, I know, I know. You're, you you're can really easily get some Gasol. 
<laughs> I, don't, I don't have my whiteboard with me. You could really easily get some Gasol uh, passing for Kuzma cutting, for Shooter cutting, for Matthews cutting, Shooting. setting screens, you know, split cuts where Kuzma sets a screen for Matthews to sprint to the corner, look for a shot, and then Kuzma slips off of that if the defense switches. Um, you can really easily get some ball screening actions. Uh, you have a lot of guys there that could just space the floor space the really floor. easily. Yep. Um, does I'd probably say ball screens, post facilitation. Yeah, those would probably be my top two types of offense with that group. And then you can run some like off screen stuff for for like Wesley Matthews or like Kuzma can pick and pop or Gasol can pick and pop or Keith can pick and pop. Sure. I, you might have some pick and roll defense, uh, concerns, you know, with, I was watching some Schroeder, uh, tape on his pick and roll defense and his defense kind of in general and it's okay, you know, but he can, he can be pretty upright at times. And I don't know if that's his situation or if, you know, that's just if he's locked in or not. And that's, that's hard to, to say, but he, you know, he'll kind of lazily go over screens, but he'll put pressure on, on, you know, a guy trying to, to slip in front of him for in a pick and roll. But I, know, I, I thought that lineup has enough defense, but probably a good amount of offensive firepower to be able to space the floor and get every one of those guys on the floor, good shots in easy ways, in repeatable ways, you know. So that was mm-hmm. my kind of first idea for a, a no AD, no LeBron lineup. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I uh, More of a process in figuring out what the defensive – fits will look like can these two guys play together as a to guard back the back court or can this front court play together or can we have this pick and roll defensive combo out there that will be something i have a lot of confidence that vogel and his staff will figure out offensively i think there are plenty of clear options we're certainly talking about a coaching staff that's been a bit more vanilla and just kind of getting out of the talent what they're given which is fine when you have great talent but i i don't the lakers like on a permanent basis have less exciting, like Tim leaves his seat because someone ran a really cool set play sort of offense, but it's still effective. And I think we added the right pieces to make it even more effective in the half court specifically than last season. Kind of moving on to that uh, point I made about Schroeder and his pick and roll defense. Our next question is how do you see Harold and Schroeder fitting as partners in pick and roll defense? Uh, we mentioned at the top, uh, Harold's, probably best deployment at the four uh, and and drop coverage, giving them an ability to use his, his pretty good quickness and athleticism um, to, to help and catch, catch hedge. I, like I said, Schroeder sometimes be a little bit lax uh, going over screens or he'll guess, you know, uh, he'll try and jump uh, in front to take a charge and he guesses wrong and the guy just crosses over and uses the screen or, or rejects the screen. It's, 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 it's a full grab bag of good, bad, indifferent. So I, I don't know. Where do you land on these two in there? Yeah. Team? So I'll start with Harold because a lot of what you do in your ball screen defense depends on the big, and this will be more in the playoffs in the regular season. You might just have a standard coverage. Harold, You can drop him. He's not the best. I think his technique is more the issue than his just like general intelligence or physical skill set. I think there's potential there to improve how he is as a drop big. Sometimes he just drops way, way too deep to the point that he's not in any way to like a single percentage like impacting your mid-range game or if you're trying to hit a pull-up three. You, at some, I mean, at some points last season, the Clippers were running poor 
screen coverages, like from a, we should have done that instead of this standpoint, but in terms of executing what he was asked to do, I think there's opportunity for improvement there. I don't want him switching for sure. Uh, ice is a similar as, is like a drop sort of situation. I think I would be more willing to try him out as a blitzing or harder hedge kind of guy. Um, he has a bit of quickness. He can get out there. The concern you then have is going to the Denver series. If we have Trez out there and he's running a catch hedge against Jamal Murray and Jamal Murray, uh, he, what do we call it? He, um, damn, what's the, what's the term I'm looking for? He, uh, or he, uh, yeah, uh, he, not quite. He, but dribble sideways, like dra- drag out that screen, pull that screen drag. out with you. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure that's he, called the dribble drag. Okay. We're going to go with that. If he, if he does that and he forces you to switch, that, that's an issue. And that's one of the scenarios where it's easier to force a switch. If he's dropping, he's not going to be switching. So I'd probably primarily drop with him. I think that's how LA's other bigs will perform. So I think keeping just a standard regular season defense makes sense there. In the playoffs, I'd use him pretty much any way other than switching. Uh, I think it'll depend on who the, it depends honestly more on the opponent than, than him truly. Um, so I, I think there's some flexibility there with Schroeder. His all screen data is interesting because apparently for the past two seasons, he's been pretty good. Uh, there, I'll say this, there hasn't been a single season in his career where going over ball screens and chasing, he has been a negative defender when it comes to Two different things, efficiency of the offensive players, but then also the percentage of the time that he causes the offensive player to just not get a shot off at all. Because those sometimes we don't notice them as well. You don't see, oh, a guy missed a shot or a guy made a shot. But if he can't even get a shot off, that's good defense. And between those two components and and then looking at how versatile he's able to be, I think Schroeder overall is a decent ball screen defender. At times, I think he can certainly die on screens or he could be lazy I think being lazy is something we can improve, nudge him a little bit, get it, get that right defensive intensity with AD and LeBron taking ownership, leading the way, the same way we saw that culture this past season. I feel fine with Schroeder going over, going under. I, I think he can switch. He's not someone I feel a ton of confidence in switching onto uh, a great post option or a great wing ISO score. I think from the post you can – Go to your bag of tricks and set in, in terms of like sending doubles or stunts or have him front the post. So you can do more in the playoffs like we saw the Lakers do this past season. Um, in the regular season, I try not to switch. I don't really care what he does other than that. So with both guys, I'm not switching. Uh, and I probably just drop coverage with, with Schroeder going over is what you'll most likely see in most occasions. And that's the standard NBA defense. At least the good thing with Schroeder is he's not a big guy, um, both in height and weight, but he knows and is comfortable playing physical. And sometimes that leads to, from what I saw in some of the film, him fouling, you know, being like too aggressively chasing over that screen and kind of, you know, undercutting the dude from the back as he tries to get a layup or a floater. But that's good. And when he has to switch onto a big, he'll throw his body into him and at least get in the way to tag, you know, not all guards will, you know, do that, which it's the same thing as, as boxing out. You got to throw your ass around. That's how you move bodies. That's your center of gravity. You throw that butt on a dude and, and knock his hip out of the way and you change where he's going. 
right? That's like a fundamental physics and basketball. And you just have to be willing to do that. And size will help you push a guy out of the way, but just being able to do it and be, and being willing. And that's and the thing that concerns me slightly in this equation is Schroeder's like point of attack. He's not really the guy that's going to like force you a direction, you know, with his physicality with like a Bradley maybe could, um, mm-hmm. and so that's definitely a downgrade, at least, um, on, on that side of things. But, uh, let's try to keep it going here. Um, this is a tough one for me, Tim. Uh, if the Kings had come to you and offered a sign and trade for Bogdan Bogdanovich, that would have sent out KCP, Kyle Kuzma, and Taylor Horton Tucker. Would you have done that deal, assuming it worked under CBA's rules? I think it would have made the team better this year. There's potential with uh, THT down the line. There, I think you'd have to take into consideration what your plans are for Kuzma long term, because I was, and then KCP is obviously like a big piece you'd lose. But I see Bogdanovich as an upgrade over KCP in terms of how I view him as a player and how he'd fit with this team. I think Bogdanovich is really talented. He doesn't get much attention. He's on a really crappy, or he has been on a really bad team, even on Atlanta this year. They might be fun, but they're probably not going to be great from a standings perspective he's someone to keep an eye on he he can do some things he's really talented in a couple key areas so he would have it would have been a coming out party for him if he would have come to the lakers uh best of luck to him but yeah i i know a lot of people who will automatically say no to this i am not as into the idea of what tht might become or the idea of what kuzma might become i'd rather have the guy that i know is really good at a lot of things right now and is also young rather than guys who are young but have like a laundry list of areas I'd love for them to get better. Um, for that reason, I would say yes, assuming it would work under the CBA's rules. How, how would you approach that? You know, I, I, I think I slightly disagree. And, and Tim Bogdan's not really young, dude. He's 28. Now that's not old. Oh, is he? But, oh, sh- I can't yeah, but, it. Okay. Yeah. No. He's, he's not a young player per se. He, KCP's young. He's in his prime. Uh, but that happens with the hero guys sometimes. But this is where, mm-hmm. this is where Tim, I kind of slightly disagree with you where I agree that Bogdanovich is the best player in this equation, but I, I think it's a, a slight overpay and the, what it gives you, I don't know if it's worth the overpay because at best he's your third best player, right? At best in this best case scenario. Now having a top five of, LeBron, AD, Bogdanovich, Harold, Schroeder is just r- ridiculous. And I was quite thirsty for, for the Bogdan sign and trade, uh, when I heard that was a rumor, but you know, it's, it's sacrificing some of that wing depth that, that's, you know, Bogdan is, is six, six and he, he can get after it, but I see him more of as, as a guard defender, not really a, a wing defender. And at least Kyle Kuzma has got a little bit of a length, um, I don't know. And and then you give up the promise of THT for signing a guy to an 18, 19, $20 million a year contract. I just, it's a slight overpay for overpay's sake. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like, is it completely necessary for you to win the championship? No. And in that sense, I'm not sure if an overpay is necessary or, or called for. That's a good way of looking at it. He, my counterpoint would be like, he's, he's like really good. He's he really good. the rim. He can finish at the oh, rim. He's yeah. a playmaker. He is like, he's, he's an okay defender. He's not a great defender, but like, he's really good offensively in a lot of key areas. If he's your third best guy, 
you you gain less value than if he's your second best guy and the volume would be higher for him to do those key things. But he's a piece that if hmm, see the twenty him being twenty eight, I guess changes re, re, my reality. Because if he were twenty six, I'd say this guy is part of that future. But for the price that you would have to pay to sign him for Kuzma as a, a wing depth piece, I can I can get behind saying no. I think how the Lakers finish out free agency, if they can get, like if you can get a Nick Batum, I am so much less worried about Kyle Kuzma providing that specific skill. So there's a scenario where I say, you know, the sum of the, like overall, holistically, that can be a, a much better deal for the Lakers. There's also a way that this can go where you say, oh, you know what? It's a really good thing we still have Kuz around. So yeah, I'm with you. I think for me, I'm just lower on THT and I'd be more willing to trade him for something that fits with the current group of guys that we have and can contribute now because his style of play, I think is really interesting and there's a future for it, but I'd rather not wait like six years for him to be like a positive contributor where, cause he just has so many holes right now in his game just to even like get on the court and fit offensively. Well, and here's the other thing too is um, I, I I think THT is only this year left. He, he was a second round pick. That doesn't give you an automatic four year contract. Uh, you're going to have to resign him after next season. So if, yep. even if he is a really good player, you know you're not going to be able to just guarantee bring him back. I think he would be unrestricted at that point, wouldn't he, Tim? So it, I, I don't know those rules, but yeah, him and Kuzma like. If they're great in three or four years, and maybe Kuzma's more about to plateau, honestly, from 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 an age standpoint, what we would generally expect, he could be different. But on average, twenty six is about where you plateau. Twenty five is he's he's going to see a tiny bit of growth, probably. But THT, yeah, he could be nineteen, eighteen, and in, in the best nineteen or eighteen year old. But if he still can't make it on the court now, and you're going to need to be paying for his potential that might not come for even two or three years. I can easily see the Lakers not being the team that he actually ends up performing well on once that potential is realized. So yeah, you have to figure out what the timing is. That's, this is a big key, key piece of why Schroeder and Harrell were great ads for the Lakers was their timeline aligns with ADs and it aligns with LeBron right now. THT, his timeline isn't on that same level. He's, he's not in your youth academy. You can't just hang on to him in your back pocket forever. Other teams are going to come asking and he's going to be able to get a role on a team that doesn't need to win right now. And that would be the fear is you don't just want to let that asset walk. We're not the Celtics. We don't just want guys walking. You need to, if, if it's not going to work for you, get the most you can out of it and try to make something work on your, your side of things. Hello, 911. I'd like to report a drive-by. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's complaining. If anyone's complaining, they shouldn't be listening to this podcast. All right. So, um, Along these lines, then let's, let's jump to where do you expect the team to take the biggest step back relative to the last season in the regular season and then in the playoffs? And I think, Tim, that I, and I don't know this for sure yet, but I think the Lakers, you know, top five defensive days might be over. I'd agree with that. I think we're going to be good. I think we but have a top lot of top five, not, yeah. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be there, but I think the half court offense is going to improve. The scoring is going to improve, but yeah, I think we're going to see around the same level overall performance just with it skewed a little bit more or, or more balanced right. uh, as opposed to last season where it was more skewed toward the defense, at least in the regular season. 
Mm-hmm. Our playoffs, it gets tough, right? Yeah. Because we're still trying to parse out what these rotations look like before even see them play a game. But any any in inclinations you have? I think, again, it's going to be defense because Harrell, if you can play him off the court, you're taking a good offensive piece away from the Lakers. And then our big man rotation becomes, I mean, if AD's playing the five, I think you're in, you're in good shape. You still have Keith, same as last year. Uh, Gasol, Gasol and Matthews are two guys I honestly, I worry about. I want to see them play. I want to see them perform before I'm fully bought into what they'll be able to bring in the, the playoffs, especially after seeing Gasol not perform well in the playoffs this past year. Um, it's honestly small sample, but just from an optic standpoint, you want to feel that comfort of, okay, he's still got it. Um, so yeah, I think it comes down to defense. I think we still have the versatile types of pieces. I don't think we have as good of a high end post defender as Dwight. I know that we are relying on a couple of older guys. I worry about Harrell. I think Schroeder in the playoffs, what does he become if he doesn't have that great role man to play with in Harrell. And if he's in the starting group with like LeBron or AD, he's more of an off ball guy than an on ball guy. I, I don't know. I think this team will make it work. I still have full confidence. We'll, we'll win the title. I think there are little things you can nitpick. And honestly, until we figure out what the rotations look like, it'll be difficult to pinpoint exactly where I'll be complaining for the next several months and being told by people, Hey Tim, we're winning. Like shut up. The team's in first place. The team's in second place. We're fine. We're on cruise control and we're still killing everybody. Like, please, please knock it off. You're always a downer. But I, I I'll find, give me some time and I'll find those areas. <laughs> I love that answer. Cause yeah, yeah I'm a perfectionist. I'm the same. I'm the same I want to kill everybody. I, I should word that better. I want to kill every team. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. No, I listen. Uh, one of my favorite lines of thinking is investigate why you lost. You know, if you lose, you need to look in the mirror and not just say, like, we didn't do good enough. You need to, mm-hmm. like, say, where didn't we do good enough? Why didn't we do good enough? Is it a skill thing? Is it a coaching thing? Is it yep. the other team out, uh, besting us at their, at their best and our counterpunch couldn't land? Is it us shooting ourselves in the foot? And Tim, I just want to go back to this really quick again. I still cannot believe Keith signed for the minimum and, God bless him. That makes me so much more confident and comfortable in that rotation to have Harold and Gasol. Because again, if one of those guys doesn't live up to par, uh, and you know, there's still a tradable contract, but you have Markeith to play a small ball five and yep. even next to AD, if you, you want, you know, as a, a shooting for like, there's so many different iterations of how he can be valuable to this team. It's, it's a blessing to have him back for that number. Right. He's a va- huge value at the deal. We need several things to go wrong in the same position groups to be vul- vulnerable this yes. time around. Yes. And if he didn't sign, it would be a little bit different and I'd be much more, much more nervous. And I, I love the idea of evaluate why you lost. All these other playoff teams should say, why did we lose? How can we fix that? Were we just not as good? Are we not a piece away? But if you are a piece away, if you can nail it down to one or two things, how can we address those weaknesses and run it back, not have to like blow everything up and, and change everything, but how can we be who we are 
while fixing just an area or two. And the Lakers approach this offseason thinking, how can we be who we are, do the same style, get better, and then also address the areas that in theory, in theory, potentially could have annoyed us last playoffs. Yeah. We have wing stoppers now. We yeah. have uh bench scoring now. We have uh a, a post we have all of the uh, a playmaking a play center in Gasol. Yeah. Yeah. All three of those areas were key things that would have been so helpful last year. Didn't end up mattering. We won every series other than the finals in five games. But in theory, those were the areas you'd be concerned around. And the Lakers improved in all those areas while still maintaining the ability to be versatile in the playoffs. Other than, again, Harrell might be a guy you bench. But other than that, I think it was just pretty much all just steps forward. And the worries are more around age than anything. For sure. All right. So let's keep this moving here. Uh so both as an asset and on the – oh, I'm sorry. No, I skipped one. Let's do this. Why do you think the Lakers went after Harrell with the mid-level exception instead of other players who may have been a better fit? What are the basketball reasons, and what is the best-case scenario for him? So we talked a lot about Harrell, Tim. So let's, this is a different angle a little bit. This is more about the team philosophy and construction. Um, but let's let's keep this quick. I personally feel like, again, they weren't sure if Serge was going to – uh, take the mid-level for a playoff team. I feel like they didn't have the right temperature taking in that equation to know where he was in his process. And maybe he wasn't, you know, decided yet. He didn't decide till he decided. But if you want Serge over Harrell, for example, but Serge is giving you no indications and Harrell's saying, I want to be there, that's, you, you know, you just, again, a bird in the hand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough because then you have to think about, okay, if we waited, where does Harold go? If Harold goes, who's left? Because we signed Harold relatively early and there were other guys that I still had interest in that we had no indication of where they would be going. And then a day or two later, they signed with a team. Ibaka and Millsap were the two mid-level exception players I had interest in pursuing. And both of them signed later. Both of them... I think are going to be really good players and I would have preferred over Harrell. But if you either know you won't have an answer soon from them or, and, and you know that you can get Harrell and then add Gasol and bring Keith back and like still maintain that, that core structure you want overall. That aside, if you don't get Ibaka, you don't get Millsap, who are the other MLE guys that you would want to be chasing over Harrell? I don't, honestly, I don't know. I had a pretty short list. Gallo, but he went for way more. So there, there were other guys that like, I'd say, Hey, would you take this money? And a lot of them would just said no. And they, they ended up taking more money. It would have been in a position where I would have said, all right, well, now do we just shift to using the mini Emily instead and, and try to go for like Justin holiday or like, yeah, see the plant, like you have a couple top targets but if you go past them i don't think you sign someone just to sign someone at the mle i think harold was a good backup option that if you need to pull the trigger you can pull the trigger and and just add him and then fit those other gasol and and keith pieces around him so i think it makes sense at the in the moment wasn't a big fan of it uh as they filled out the rest of the roster it made more sense i think that's how from the lakers perspective they must have approached things to get to where they got unless they just saw Harold as their clear top target. I think about it this way then, right? 
Uh, Montrez Harrow was the sixth man of the year last year. Two for 19 with a player option is below market value for Montrez Harrow. So if I'm Rob Palinka, I, I look at that, right? I mean, that just is, Tim, right? You but it wasn't, say, though. It wasn't. It was. No, it was it, because his, he turned no, no, out no, more no, money from his Charlotte. market. Okay, okay. That was my he question did. was who's going to pay him more money, Atlanta, New Charlotte. York, Charlotte, or the Suns? Okay. And, yeah, I believe that right. they would yeah. have paid him more than that. So, it, it, anyway, I'm sorry. It, go back to any year. If you look at the six man of the year's contract, it, like, the mid-level's pretty – it's a good steal for it. That's just value. But, but my point would be, yes, yes, I agree with you. But my point would be the market – or what someone's worth in – when you're when you're looking to sign free agents is only what the actual market deems it is. So, the fact – like, Charlotte is the answer. Charlotte made the answer yes. If Charlotte wasn't willing to sign him, then – you don't need to pay overpay him as much, or, or maybe his market was the MLE. But, but no, but, you're right. We're on this. We're on the same page. I see what you're saying. Charlotte was the answer, right? My point being then is, if you're Rob Polinka and you look at uh, a talented player in the league who's below market value is willing to sign with you, you look at your superstars in Anthony Davis and LeBron James and say, this guy can fit in next to them and I can make him even better. Like they see themselves now as rejuvenating mm-hmm. uh, Dwight Howard's career, Rajon Rondo's career, you know, putting guys in positions to succeed, working with them to put them in positions to succeed because this is a team who values their players. And even if it doesn't work out with Harold, I have the fullest confidence. They'll just ship him out and say, we tried. Thanks, man. If we win a ring, we'll send you, you know, one on ring opening ceremony night. So it's, it's a no, it's a very low risk proposition in my opinion. And the ceiling can easily you could see easily being raised in the regular season and there's a question about it in the playoffs but again if you like i mentioned last pod if there's an analog for dwight and there's an analog like keith is back there's an analog for schroeder and danny green like this team is like you said not the same players but philosophically kind of the same construct and you just add this piece that you didn't have before in montrez harrell to take some of the weight off of the regular season. I just think overall, it's a very low risk uh, assessment situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm with you. So let's, uh, uh, let's move to the next yeah, one. Sorry. I just had to lay that out. Cause we, we were texting back and forth about Harold, like once it went down and I, it took me a minute to warm up, but uh, let's, let's bank through the rest of these questions. So both as an asset and on the court, what would you do with Kyle Kuzma, Tim? Kuzma's had his opportunities. He, you, you can't say the Lakers didn't give him a chance. He's been around for a while. He's that one lone survivor of the younger guys that we had before. He's now like 25. He is at the point in his career where you don't look at him like you do a THT where you expect big growth over the next season or two. He might have some marginal growth here or there, but for the most part, this should be close to the final product of what Kyle Kuzma looks like. You then ask yourself, okay, how can we improve his scenario? How can we improve his role? How can we make the most out of him? And playing on this team should be giving him ample opportunity to at least look like the best version of himself. We still played him in the playoffs. He he wasn't a guy that popped off. He wasn't one of the players that was performing all that well. Um, his shot has been very on and off. His finishing, getting to the rim hasn't been there. His one-on-one game has been very poor. His playmaking from an efficiency standpoint is not where you want it to be, and he doesn't make the types of reads you would you would prefer. He's a bench piece, and he'll have a bench role, and the value I see with him is if he can 
be a good spot up three point shooter. If we can improve, literally, I would not. I never would have guessed this. He has an he had an F three point shot quality this past season. How? Like every other bench piece we have, every other like cat like Rondo, Caruso, KCP, Danny Green, all of those guys, whether they're good or bad three point shooters, they all had A or A minus three point shot quality. But Kyle Kuzma somehow in some of this is him, some of this is his own his own tendencies, have lowered that shot quality so much so that we're getting him shooting like thirty percent on threes when he could be doing better. So I think you look to improve that. I think his role needs to be off ball. He needs to be, I, I, he needs to embrace a three and D role, make more strides, continue to improve as a wing defender that at times can, can play up a little bit because he has in the past. It wasn't the best role for him from him being drafted. We talked about on this podcast. He might be a wing. He might not be a big, uh, he's exciting as a big, but he might really be a wing and, if he can improve that three-point shot from just a environment standpoint, from taking the open ones and getting the ball to someone else when he's not open, if he can attack the rim better because he's finished well at the rim, and if he can make smart passes and not turn the ball over, I think you're you're making the best you can out of Kyle Kuzma. I think the downside with him is he tries to be more than he is right now. And with this team, you just can't really afford guys like that. You don't need guys like that. With bringing Harrell and Schroeder in, you don't need Kuzma to try to be more. If Kuzma can find a role appropriate to his skill level today and buy into that, he can be a positive contributor. And defensively, he's a great – I don't think you want him as your primary wing stopper, but he's going to get his fair share of opportunities in that role. If he can do that and if he can appreciate his value as an asset – he can be on this team longer term. If he shows that he won't fit with what you need him to be doing, I th- think the team looks to move him. And and that's probably how I would approach things. I, I'm not trying to get rid of Kuz. I like him. I'm really, you know, emotionally, he's one of those guys. Like, he's the guy that's still around. So you want to keep him around. Um, it's way more fun to win with players that have been there through the struggle than just, like, bringing in a bunch of free agents who haven't been Lakers until this year and then you win. Um, so I want to see him succeed. I just think he needs to find a role that matches him and he'll be the best version of himself. And if he improves in areas, then you scale up the roles and responsibilities that he has. But season after season for the past couple of years, he's tried to do too much. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't believe I'm going to say this, Tim, but the level of wing defense that Kyle Kuzma brings and that wing stopper potential is the only thing I'm hesitant about trading him at, on the court as an asset, however you want to put it, because mm-hmm. he's coming to the end of his rookie deal. He, you know, already came out into the NBA draft, got a little bit older than other guys. So like you said, this is his plateau, our prime quote unquote for some players, you know, but that wing defense is still very valuable when you look at, look at what Malik Beasley just got. Look at what Jeremy Grant just got. These guys aren't perfect wing defenders, but they give you enough of it plus other stuff that they made bank this, this off season. And that's the only thing that's really valuable to this Lakers in his role right now is being a defensive wing stopper. And that's, unless you can get another one of those, I don't know if it's worth it. Yeah, and let me make another pitch for him. His looking at some of his player profile stats from People Index, he had a 23rd percentile minutes consistency last season. He was very much 
not just with AD coming in and the Lakers competing, his, his, you know, role shrunk a little bit. His role in terms of the types of possessions he's had has been fairly similar, but the consistency hasn't been there. And if we look at the lineup spacing that he's operated within, it was an F rating last year. That's not good. That's going to limit how much he's able to do in terms of getting to the room and finishing at the room. The playmaking in the lineups he's been in has been a D overall. That can certainly improve. I think getting him with a guy like Schroeder can potentially spark some value with him in that respect. And that, again, that F three point shot quality, that if he buys into his role, that will improve. Um, and if it goes from like an F to an A, all of a sudden it can look like Kyle Kuzma is knocking down threes left and right year after year. We've said like, I've said this so many times on the pod, there are threes where you're like, that's not going in. And then there are threes that Kuz takes where you're like, that's a shot of his and it's got a great shot of going in. Um, buy into that role. He had a silver microwave badge this past season. He was a guy off the bench that was adding offense and that was partially because the Lakers didn't have a guy to better fit into that role. Now that we do have those players, one, his need to do that is lower. He can be more of what he is, is again, as long as he buys into it. Um, but two, like, I'm not going to count it against him that he tried to do a little bit more than he should have last season, just because time after time, we're like, all right, where does the scoring come from? Where does the scoring come from? Who is that third guy? Where, who's going to score on the bench? So he filled a role, not the best for him that the team kind of needed. Once we got to the playoffs, it didn't matter as much. Um, I think if you improve some of those things, give him more consistency, you can make more out of Kyle Kuzma. And I'm not, I'm not selling necessarily. Um, but there are still people out there that think he should be like closing games and he's just not there yet. Um, to your point, the wing defense is good to have depending on how we round out the rotation. I definitely want to keep it around. I wouldn't trade him just to trade him unless there's a very clear need that you're filling. I think Kuzma and trading Kuzma would be to address Gasol or Matthews if either of them look washed. Um, if they are performing well, I'm happy to keep Kuz because I would prefer to have that bench piece that can defend some wings, can be a little bit versatile, uh, and in theory should be able to be knocking down threes at a higher rate than he has in the past. I mean, there's an argument to be made. We'll just move on quickly after this, try and do the last few of these lightning round because we're approaching an hour. But, I mean, there's an argument to be made. If you're going to be sitting LeBron and AD, like, give Kuz some more off-scoring opportunities in the beginning part of the season. Try and increase that trade value because, you know, I don't think it's going to lose you games to give him an extra five to seven shots per game. You still have Harrell and Schroeder and, you know, uh Gasol there to kind of pick up the slack. But just, just if you want to position yourself to get value for Kyle Kuzma, you need to put him in a position to succeed. And if you want to upgrade, he needs to be a player who someone wants to trade a decent player for, even on an expiring. So he's got to improve in that. And when you underperform on the Lakers, it's loud. So the entire league knows about, you know, every casual fan knows about it. But let's move on to the next question. Uh, we just talked about him a little off the pod before we got on. We haven't sent Alfonso McKinney's name once, I think, in the last two pods. Uh, so this question is, how good is McKinney? Will he make the rotation? Um I would say not and no. I, I'll <laughs> co-sign those sentiments. Credit for him to credit to him for doing more than he needed to do on a Golden State team in the past and needing to like start for them at times. But the Lakers roster isn't in a place where he and what he brings will 
have much of an opportunity to make a difference. So I don't, I don't see him making the rotation. And you pull up his synergy page and about the only damn good thing he's not abominable in is cutting and floaters and is very small sample from last year. But you know, there's just not a lot of opportunity for a guy like that who, to be honest, isn't very good on defense either. He has size and he's mm-hmm. got great wing, you know, stat, but he's just not good. It. Yeah, it's it's not like he's Andre Roberson where it's like, oh, you know, you've got to work around the offense, but defensively he's really good. Or, you know, in the past he was really good. He's just on either end isn't at a place where he'd be contributing on this team. So we'll move on to that. Hope to see him prove us wrong. But um, we talked a little last time about uh, who to fill out the roster with. I just want to ask one last time. There's, to me, there's kind of a, a musical chairs thing going on with three things we might need or want and two spots. So one of them being back, uh, bringing back Jared Dudley to the team as a veteran minimum guy at the end of the bench, good leader, um, good locker room guy. You know, we talked about it. I would love Jared Dudley back on the bench. But I could also make an argument, Tim, that the Lakers need both a break class, glass in case of emergency, ball handler, and possibly another big. So what, which one kind of falls out of the musical chair rotation for you? I am going to say, dang, I'm going to, I, oh. Dudley, Dudley's a great guy and great. I just wish this were 2K and I, I didn't have to worry about the locker room stuff or people's feelings or any of that. Cause they're, the Lakers still have some things I'd love to, to iron out with some of these bench spots. But if Dudley's back, you have two things. I would say I'm going to go for a big man and I'm going to target Dwayne Dedman because he is the type of big that can do different things in ball screen situations. He can be a little bit more switchable. He can drop. He's, I mean, not the, most towering defensive defend the rim kind of guy, but he can be your mobile big that can play more aggressive screen coverages or switch in the past, not this past season, but in the past, he's been a pretty good shooter. Um, he's a good bet to perform better than he did last season. And if so, it would be a bargain out of min and a good fit, good backup, big option. And if the Lakers will want to play Harold as a power forward in the regular season, you want another center to add to the roster to play with Marcus Gasol as as the center, as the in the center role I should mm-hmm. say not with Marcus Gasol and Deadman would fill that and why Deadman is such a fit over like a Henson or somebody else would be that he can space the floor which allows you offensively to play him with Harrell and not really have to worry about things Harrell can play with AD Harrell can play with Gasol because they can space the floor he can't play with some of these other free agency big man options that are out there, but Deadman is a little bit different. So regular season, you sign Deadman, he eats minutes. Maybe there's some playoff chance for him, but he would be the backup center to let Harold play power forward. And then in the playoffs, when Anthony Davis is playing center, he probably falls out of the rotation. So you're going Dudley and Deadman, right? I, I'd I, go Dudley, Deadman, and then I have one more spot, right? No, no, that's it. Oh, they, only, they have two spots. That's why I'm bringing it up. Is they only keeping have McKinney spots is ah, uh, that's yeah. man. I wouldn't be keep, keeping McKinney because I would love Nick. If Nick Batum is available, you go get Nick Batum, and then I try to trade Kyle Kuzma for a second round pick, create a spot, and sign Deadman because I'd rather have Batum and Deadman than Kuzin in. Deadman, I right. guess. Um, but the, the issue comes in because when you trade McGee for those two guys, you have to guarantee a portion of both of their contracts, right? And mm. what the Lakers did with Jordan Bell was they guaranteed, you know, like 600000 and then they stretched it. And they would have had to do the same for McKinney, which is not 
impossible, but I actually don't think that gives you another spot for a veteran's okay. minimum under the hard cap. I still There's think this, it's only two. Yeah. The Lakers have squeezed all they can out of, out of the orange. Yeah, uh, they did yeah. a great so, job. I just like, there's only so far you can take it. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, all right. So if I only have one spot, if we're assuming Dudley, I'm going to say don't go for Deadman. We're going to live with Harrell playing center in the regular season. It's not going to be great. We're going to live with it in the playoffs. It'll be fine because he'll play power forward. Instead of that, I'm going to get Batum if I can. If I can't get Batum, I'm between a shooter in Glenn Robinson, the third or I see Corver doesn't play defense anymore as much. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he was dead last in our, uh, matchup difficulty stat. Interesting fun fact. Um, either Glenn Robinson, the third, or I go for Napier or McLaughlin. One of those three. I'm with that. I mean, I, I think if I absolutely had to, I think Deadman is, is a significantly harder piece to find than the other ones. Like, not that, like, the wing defense is insanely hard to find, right? But what Deadman can provide, I don't know. I think I might go Deadman Dudley, but let's, let's move on. We, we can talk more about this, uh, in the three weeks leading up to the season. But, um, it, this is an interesting question. I, I'm curious to hear what you say. Are there any regular season metrics that foreshadowed Montrez's playoff performance? And should we expect more of the same or we can expect that to change the, uh, for the Lakers this year? I just want to throw in the regular season and the playoffs are almost a different game. And, and the way you target specific weaknesses from one team to the next on a nightly basis in the regular season, you don't see that. Like we've talked about, you try to play your basketball. And then kind of adjust on the margins a little bit without, you know, breaking your, your basketball, quote unquote. So in the regular season, in the regular season, right. But playoffs, it's, it's win. So I don't know. Is there anything that foreshadowed his performance in the drop off in the playoffs? So there's not going to be one metric. And if you're anyone evaluating players positively or negatively with one metric, you're going to have trouble translating from the regular season to the playoffs because from an impact standpoint, he wasn't good, but he wasn't as negative as he has been in the playoffs because of all the things you talked about. This is why we use film. We use data. We work it all together. We have that intuition. Um, what well, we try to at least and try to give as holistic a look as possible because you just can't rely on a single data point. There are people out there who do, and that's a shortcoming. If you're only looking at, oh, this guy's efficient or this guy has a good defensive uh, RPM or PIPM or whatever, you can't just assume those things will translate. You have to understand why, how, what does their role look like in the past, how will it look in the future. This is just like evaluating a, t- a player from a different team going to your team and the role changing. It's just like that for the regular season and playoff. So he's the type of guy that it was just all the red flags of he is playing small ball five it, while not being good at the things you want a small ball five to be good at. He can't space the floor. He's not switchable. He was just a small center that was getting beat up in ball screens in on the perimeter and uh wasn't spacing the floor and was getting beat up on the post. So it was somewhat predictable. I went on a podcast in like round one last postseason on as a guest on another podcast and was like, hey, the Clippers are in huge trouble if they even get to face the Lakers because their big man rotation is just god awful and they're not going to be able to get the right pieces on the court that you need to in the playoffs against a team like the Lakers. And we saw that hurt them before they even got to that point. So it was predictable, but you're not going to find it with one stat. 
Uh, what kinds of offensive sets and movement patterns would the Lakers be capable of running with the addition of a playmaking big like Marcus Gasol? More handoffs, flares, pick and pops, and how can we best utilize Gasol offensively along our starting unit? Tim, think of this, right? I can think of back to a time of, you know, Gasol Bynum running those screens, they are those beautiful uh, bigs passing to each other with Odom in there as well, of course. Like what a handoff from Mark Gasol to Anthony Davis going downhill with Gasol popping. It just sounds like a nightmare to defend to me. But what what like pet plays can you see uh the offense running through through a guy like Mark? I see a lot of split cuts in our future, whether he's at the elbow or he's in the post and has good angles to get the ball where it needs to go. I can see a lot of opportunity for high-low passing where AD's in the post and Gasol's at the high post and AD gets position and just throw that in there to him. He he catches it, catches that lob and then dunks it. I think dribble and vice versa, yep. Uh, dribble handoffs are something that like we've saw, we've seen with Bam out of bio. We've seen with, uh, Mason Plumley. You can create a lot of good scoring opportunities for ball handlers or for shooters by having a big that knows when to hand it off, when to keep it, when to not give it to you immediately, let you curl and then give it to you. Um, he's smart in those ways. He's also really good as like an outlet passer. So he's going to get boards and just be throwing those touchdown passes to LeBron or to Anthony Davis. Uh, he, he just, he's a re- really smart playmaker, um, from the big man position. He's still a big, he can't, he's not going to be Nikola Jokic making crazy ball handler types of passes, but while stationary from the high post or low post, it's going to be a lot of cutting and screening for shooters and he's going to get the ball to where it needs to be. And he's also a really good, uh, post entry guy, which is ironic. Um, I think as a big man, growing up as a big man, you, you learn to appreciate good post passers because it's not the easiest thing. You can't just throw it in there. You have to do the right things. And we've seen the Lakers be so bad at that in the past. And I think Anthony Davis is going to love a Marcus all post entry pass this, this upcoming season. And gosh, LeBron having a guy who can make decisions in the short role, like, is that, has he really ever had a guy like that? I guess Chris mm. Bosch is probably the only one that I can think of that could, you know, do some of that. But, you know, Bosch is a good passer. He's not Marcus Hall level, but, yep. um, moving on. Uh, yeah. He, so, and that matters less for LeBron. Sorry. That'll matter less for LeBron unless teams start double teaming him or hard hedging against him, that's when that short roll really opens up. As long as teams are going under his ball screens and dropping, it's not going to matter as much, which is why I think with Schroeder, there's some potential for that short roll, probably a bit more so than with LeBron, just based on how defenses are playing him. So keep an eye out for that. I think Harrell and Gasol are going to be really good pairings with Schroeder, just based on how he pressures the defense in a different way than we've seen Laker ball handlers pressure defense last season, like Caruso, Rondo and LeBron, you just go under ball screens and, and that's, that's the playbook. Um, Schroeder's a different kind of guy. So that'll be a fun thing to track. That's a great call. That's a great, great observation. Um, last, uh, last couple ones here. Do you have any data? Have you looked at any film, uh, where Schroeder's setting screens? Kyrie was a sneaky great screener during LeBlanc's Cleveland years. And I'd love to see that action come back now that LA has a guard who is a scoring threat. I, I'll, I'll defer to you on this one, Tim. I, I can't say that specific film that I've looked at yet, but, um, I, I, at the very least, you still have Alex Caruso for that. Yeah. The, the answer is no. Um, I look for it. There is data for it. 
he doesn't quite show up in that data. I think there were twice on the season I saw him do that and it worked a couple more times where he just didn't get the ball in general as like, if just looking at like his screen assists, it's like 0.1 per 75 possessions on the court, which is about one game. So like one out of every 10 games, he'll screen for somebody in any situation and create a shot off of it that goes in. Um, It'll be worth exploring. It's something to experiment with. Just because we haven't seen him do it doesn't mean he can't do it. So it's worth a look. Uh, he was two for two this season as like a pick and pop kind of guy. Um, so I, it's not his, it's not something he's done in the past where I can assume it will happen, but I would venture to guess that the Lakers will give it a shot. I'd have to think that Wesley Matthews might be important in that too. Like Danny Green often got the kind of, the low end of the totem pole defender stuck on him because he, you know, stands in the corner and doesn't move a ton. Yep. Uh, Wesley Matthews offers you a little bit more movement and shooting, at least in that regard. So I wonder if Wesley Matthews setting uh, LeBron screens was, is something. That's a good point because the footwork there is similar and it's much closer than if you're just a guy like a Caruso who's just, he's very much like a stationary three point shooter when he's shooting. He's, he's going to struggle more in those situations than a guy like Matthews who, has a history and a capability and has shown the footwork to be able to run off of off ball screens, catch and shoot quickly. So yeah, that's, that's a great call out time. I would uh, take a look at Wesley Matthews, especially since he is very limited offensively or has been used very in a very limited way. It'll be easy to see teams hiding defenders on him because he's less likely to be involved in actions at all. Um, so yeah, either using him as a screener for LeBron or getting him at, involved in actions with like Gasol as a, a post playmaker where you're getting Matthews coming off a screen or sending a screen for somebody else and then switching or slipping. If the defense switches, that'll, that'll be ways to get him involved and create opportunities for others. That's a great question though. Like really good job noticing the details of, of scheme and, you know, LeBron mm-hmm. setting a, or Kyrie setting a screen for LeBron works in so many ways because Kyrie's shooting is so, so proficient, you know, at, at catch and shoot. He, he's a great shooter. So it's really helpful, yep. but um, just mm-hmm. quickly, Oh, go ahead. One last thing. On that same note, the most common defense of a an inverted ball screen where a guard is setting a screen for like a LeBron is usually it it, it it's usually going to be a show and recover where mm-hmm. Schroeder's man is going to run out, try to not let LeBron turn the corner, and then recover to Schroeder. That can give you the ghost screen that that pick to slip for a pop, which may work, may not work, but it'll also create opportunities where. And we saw Danny Green have plenty of these chances in the playoffs that we were like, why are you doing this? This doesn't make sense. Is that little short roll? Dennis Schroeder is a guy I am very willing to get the ball to with zero defenders on him attacking downhill from like the elbow. If both of the guys go to LeBron temporarily, much more so than Danny Green getting that ball. And then you just want to close your eyes and just hope it works out for, for him attacking downhill, you know, dribbling the ball and needing the playmake. So that is where similar way, but a different, you know, recognize the skill sets they have. He might be able to do that ghost screen, but if not, that short roll should be there if defenses are uh, showing and trying to recover on those ball screens. And that's something that gives you a completely different element than than a Rajon Rondo, you know, like Rondo Mm -hmm. really did well in the playoffs at at putting pressure on the rim when not a lot of Lakers besides AD and LeBron could, you know, uh, and he got some, some nice games performances out of it, but I don't see it as a, a long-term solution. And and Schroeder is just one of the best in the league at putting pressure on the rim, um, at the guard position. So closing it out here, Tim, um, 
Do you think Vogel will have most of Trez minutes with AD or LeBron on the floor? And I just want to set this up with uh, my expectation at least is that uh, Vogel's base rotation of AD and LeBron from last year doesn't really change. Uh, barring, of course, the load management, full game sitting. Maybe it's, you know, the first five minutes instead of the first seven uh, for LeBron. But I expect that, you know, AD and LeBron start. LeBron comes out at the six-minute mark. AD comes out at the second quarter. LeBron comes in. I expect that. So, yes, Trez, you know, AD LeBron will probably be on the floor at all times is my, my, my answer. Yeah. Probably. And it'll look a little bit different if Trez is playing power forward or if he's playing center in terms of who and when he's playing with those guys. But he's going to have plenty of opportunity to play with both of them. He'll have plenty of opportunity to play with Schroeder. And those are the three players that LeBron and Schroeder specifically, I think, will get Trez involved well and create driving opportunities to uh, enable some of those dump off looks that we've talked about or those rules that we've talked about. Yeah, good stuff, man. We went a little long today, but we had a lot of great questions and uh wanted to to kind of go through all of them with you all. We haven't done a mailbag like this in a long time, so hopefully we can do this uh more consistently. You can get into that Discord that we mentioned by uh screenshotting a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and sending it to Tim or I, and we'll send you the link. But uh Tim, is there anything else uh, you got going on you want to throw out there before we go? No, not, not really. Uh Oh, I guess if you do want to be tracking – free agency as it kind of finishes up and you're curious, you know, either who's left or who's on which team or which teams have which exceptions left. Um, or like I threw together a formula that, that projects what somebody might be worth. Uh, go check out the B-Ball index data and tools package. It's just five bucks a month. We've got all these player profiles on there, a bunch of other data, but we've added those uh, just like salary cap and cap sheet and free agent tracking. And we're updating that as things happen it's not like some other places where they're going to wait for the uh, signings to become official or the trades to become like official because then it, you, you may have like several days before that even happens and you want to know now what's going on. So we've been uh, working on that and have that updated up to date. Um, so if you're a current subscriber, go check that out. If you're not a subscriber and you're curious, reach out to me or go to bball-index.com and you can go check out what like our player profiles look like, all the other cool data we have, all of like the finishing and playmaking and perimeter shooting, all that stuff. If you want to see what was somebody's three-point shot quality or how versatile is this player, all that, um, you can go find that over at the site. So I just need to do my periodic uh, pitch for that. Um, but yeah, that, join the Discord, keep keep following us, engaging with us. You can, you, I mean, if you listen to the pod, you're probably following us, but if you're not, you can find me on Twitter at Tim underscore MBA. You can find Tom at Creative Destroyer. And uh, Tom, I'm a pre- I'm looking at all of the great Lakers like title gear you're wearing right now and feeling really bad about myself that I haven't purchased any yet. Still. There's still, still time. There's still time. Just wait. Christmas is coming up. Somebody will get something for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, man. Uh, go Lakers and uh, hit us up online, and we'll talk to you guys next time.